One. Well, good afternoon, everyone, and welcome to another edition of Overtime. We are so glad that you're joining us today, whether you're catching this live or you're watching this via Facebook or catching this via podcast. Thanks for joining us. Uh, what Overtime is, it's basically our deeper dive into the weekend message. So we're going to get to that in just a second. But what we want to do is just kind of highlight this coming Sunday. So is as, something happening this coming Sunday, man? As we're recording this, this is actually March 30th, first of all. Oh my gosh, it's March 30th. We're like almost through three months of 2021. But anyway. First quarter. And then this Sunday, April 4th, is Easter Sunday, Resurrection Sunday. Yes. So we are pretty pumped. Uh, there is a ton of different things happening here at the church. Uh, so I want to direct your attention to clcfamily.church/slash Easter. So if you go there, you can kind of see all the offerings. We've got a Thursday night kids program that's happening. Um, there's Easter egg like hunt kits that you can get. There's a Friday uh, service that we're doing that's kind of a reflective drive-in service. Communion. And, yeah, yeah, communion with that. We've got Easter egg hunts, each Easter egg scavenger egg, uh, Easter egg scavenger geocaching hunts that are happening kind of all week through April 10th. Um, and then there's a, a couple other community things. And then what we're really going to try and push is our Sunday morning service. So if you do not have a location where you can actually be a part of the Sunday morning service, we would invite you to be a part of one Come of our... Come hang three. out with us, please. Yes, we've got a couple different options. If you're not comfortable kind of leaving your house online, we have a 9 o'clock service, an 11 o'clock service, and then a 5 p.m. service. If you prefer in person, you can do the in... Uh, indoor service that happens here at the church at 9 a.m. Or if you would like, that's a drive-in option as well. And then at the 11 o'clock service, it's not 1045. Usually we do two, two services. Because it's Easter, we're kind of spreading those a little bit apart. So 11 o'clock, we will be doing an outdoor service with the showmobile, with kind of our giant drive-in screen. So those are the offerings. So again, 9 o'clock, you can do that in person or in drive through or, or drive, drive in, up, yeah. drive in, drive up, drive in. Sit whatever. outside, whatever you want to do. Or 9 o'clock, enjoy the sun. And then at 11 o'clock, you can join us outdoors for our drive-in service, which is also going to be live outdoors. Band, and I'll get to teach out there. Online, yeah. as well as online. And then lastly, 5 o'clock, just simply online. So there's a lot of different things. Again, clcfamily.church um, slash Easter. So you can find all the information there. So with that, we are probably going to do a little bit of a limited... Um, overtime today, so probably only about 50 minutes, maybe even less than that. Yeah. So, um, just because I'm going to get a COVID vaccine today, I found out yesterday. Going to yeah. get it. I'm a, I'm a perfect specimen of health, so I shouldn't have been <laughs> in phase one A. But because I'm a pastor and I work with you all, apparently they let me get one early on. So I'm jumping yeah. in, getting it, getting the shot. I got a tank top on, ready to go. So I don't really have a tank top on, but I am getting the shot at 1:30 today up in Kennett Square. So if you're watching this live, that's why I'm, we're going to duck out right yeah. a little bit after one. But if you're joining us online, that's why it's. Eight ten minutes yeah. last than I just place. got mine yesterday. Man, my arm is sore. Yeah, oh, it yeah, hurts, yeah right. but, but it's worth it. So yeah, absolutely. absolutely. Anyway, let's jump into kind of the content. Do you want to give us a review of what we talked about last? Oh week? yeah, uh, we talked about Satan. <laughs> <laughs> um, we really did, and uh, so did. I mean, it, I, I think I, I got some real good feedback and. To be honest with you, the sermon didn't go how I thought it would. It took us a little bit longer to get in the scriptures than I anticipated, but it just made sense that we kind of had a better framework to view what's going on because it certainly seems like, for those of us who are conspiracy theorists, there's lots of conspiracies that seem to make sense because there seems to be a lot of bad things and yeah. evil construction happening that certainly seems to be more premeditated and 
you know, organized in a way that there's like organized crime, you know, like the mafia, you go, I don't know exactly what happened, but it certainly seems like someone's up there pulling some strings, making this stuff happen. So it certainly seems like some of that's going on in our world with evil and brokenness, regardless of your, you know, your political slant, right? From right or left, you go, that's evil. That's bad. Where's that coming from? And what I offer is that perhaps it's not as organized with, you know, the ball or that I couldn't come up with a word. I said Beyonce, but I could not come up with the word Illuminati on <laughs> Sunday. I'm like, ah, oh, you know, there's not that. This QAnon isn't, doesn't know what's really going on. There, there isn't like, I don't think it's, it, it's that kind of structure, personally, right? No, I think there's some real evil forces, but perhaps what we're actually seeing is the effects of real evil and its influence on our world. And you don't have to be a Christian to believe this. You would go, yep, there's evil. How else does someone walk into a a big supermarket with a gun and start shooting people, right? Like, that's evil. How do people go into movie theaters with a gun and shoot people? How do, how do people go into an elementary school with a gun and shoot people? And we see them and go, that's evil. But it can't be that the people are evil. So, therefore, the solution must be that the social policies around that are that which was evil. So, if we could just create some new policies around gun control, around abortion laws, all these kind of things, then finally we would limit evil, Right? And perhaps, perhaps there's some things that would happen with some social policies. I'm not saying social policies are bad. I'm just telling you, I don't think you can legislate morality. Or you can't legislate the, you know, the the effects of evil. Believe it or not, you can make laws, but evil doesn't really follow those laws, right? And so, so perhaps what we're actually seeing is something much greater, much more complicated, much more nuanced, and scarier, candidly, than just some people at the top in a, in a closeted room pulling some strings, right? This isn't George Soros. This isn't the Koch brothers. This is there's something there, and perhaps, perhaps we're viewing it the wrong way. And the way by which I've seen evil play out and you know, throughout history is it is this kind of this slow, slow, arduous creep to the edge, right? Like the things just kind of move. There's how it happens in your life, how it happens in my life, how it happens in our world. And then finally, when you get all the way to the edge, right, there is no more space to take any more of a creep. And so the next step is a deep, dark plunge. So slow creep, deep, dark plunge. And certainly what it seems like right now is it seems like maybe our country, the world has been taking these slow, arduous steps towards the edge. And what it kind of seems like right now is that we're in a free-for-all, like just a free-fall. So what do we do with that? How do we respond? Is there something we can do? Is there some way we can attack that or, you know, confront what I would say is evil? And so first got to understand what evil is, give it a name and understand it, and then see how evil is dealt with, particularly in the scriptures. And so that's what we did this week. We kind of got an understanding of what evil is in terms of, you know, lots of lots of scriptures I shared with you this past week that if you read through the Old Testament, you get some some kind of pretty good understanding of um, where evil comes from. You can read in Isaiah 14, Ezekiel 28, Book of Daniel, Revelation 12. There's lots of places that kind of tells you how, how evil plays out. Essentially, there's a God who exists above it all, right, who is Lord of all. He is good and he is perfect and he is loving, which implies there's something off. If he's good and perfect and loving, and yet there's evil in this world, okay, does God cause that? Well, if God doesn't cause it, he certainly has to allow it. And if he allows it, why does he allow it? What is it that we can learn from it? And so we can understand is that there is a God who is Lord of all. And then he created 
beings, both angels, angelic beings, and humans, with some agency, with the, uh, the opportunity to make our own decisions and choices. Now, the reality is you're actually only capable of making choices that will eventually wreck your life, which is why you need Jesus anyway. But he not only gives us that agency, he gave angelic beings that agency. You read in Revelation 12, it tells you a little of the story of literally the kind of the chief of the angels, the uh, as it says in the Old Testament, the Satan, or the adversary, uh, decides he wants to be like God. Slow creep to this idea that he should be like God. He should be worshipped as God. He's tired of worshipping the one true God. He wants his own glory, the slow, slow creep to the edge of his own arrogance and his own pride. And then eventually there's this deep plunge, and there is a war that breaks out. And God wins the war in heaven. And then the war moves down onto this planet Earth. And what we've seen play out over thousands of years, even with our first ancestors, is this enemy, Satan, who um, really does want to devour and ruin our lives. And even if he can't take possession of you, and I have no doubt we'll talk about that, even though he can't, like, maybe, you know, take over all your faculties, right? We'll talk about that. He does want to steal, kill, and destroy your life. And just want to be really clear, he hates you. He hates you. And he does not want you to have a good life, does not want you to experience joy, particularly if you're a Christian. But if somehow he can play behind the scenes and you make the same jokes, the same silly rolling the eyes and going, you're telling me there's some pitchfork and horns. Nope, it's much worse than pitchfork and horns. And it makes sense that we're aware of it. But the big idea, some things to know about Satan 5 that I covered this week. Sorry, my eyes are not very good today. Uh, he's called the evil one in Matthew 13. He's called the enemy in Matthew 13. He's called the accuser in Revelation. He's called the adversary in 1 Peter 5. He's called the destroyer in Revelation 9. He's called the murderer in John 8. He's called the father of lies in John 8. He's called the deceiver in Revelation 12. And he's called the tempter in Thessalonians 3. So, uh, two different ways that people usually approach this. They either overemphasize Satan. Everything's Satan's fault. It's not. Sometimes you make bad decisions. It's on you, right? And so, uh, some people just give Satan credit for everything, which has caused a bunch of us to go, well, that's bad theology. Like, I have some personal accountability responsibility. So, we've overcorrected and just not talked about Satan at all. So, we can't overemphasize it. And yet, we can't underemphasize it. So, there's this tension. Not a problem to solve, but a tension we have to manage. And so, kind of what I share with you this week, I want to read it again because I think it's really important, is this. Truth is this. Satan is real, but we are responsible. He will lie, but we believe the lies. He will deceive us, but we will accept his deception. He will tempt us but we will sin. So he is real and we are responsible for our complicit participation. So he's real and you're responsible. So if you're responsible, how do we deal with evil and Satan, which is why it's glorious that Jesus shows us the story of this uh, garrison demoniac in the middle of devastation and ruin and destruction. And Jesus comes in and speaks into his life and everything changes. So we see how enemies, how evils defeated Jesus. And we see our part in participating in the good news of the gospel and bringing the kingdom of heaven to earth in this demoniac whose life gets transformed. And we see actually what our role is post Jesus doing something radical in our life. And it's really pretty simple. We talk about him. We talk about him. We talk about him. We talk about the goodness of who he is. And so as yeah. we work through this material today, we'll cover all that in more detail. Yeah. So I think what, what we usually do is we'll kind of take it verse by verse. There is uh, three questions. One of them showed up just a, a little bit ago. Um, so we'll go to that one live in just a moment. But um, yeah, thank you for your questions. We love when you get questions. We love when you can do that. I will say that most of the questions are surrounding kind of talking about demons or yeah. spirits like because there is a desire to understand and maybe it's a little yep. bit outside of 
our understanding. So we've got several questions that we'll kind of park there. If we get time, we'll jump back into the to the text and really kind of go yeah, through yeah, that, yeah, especially yeah. towards the end. Um, but let's start with, uh, I'll just go in order in which they uh, were received. So one of the questions says this. It says, in the NIV, demons are mentioned 73 times, all of which are in the New Testament. Of these 73 times, 64 are in four, the four Gospels. The question is, is, where did demons come from and why were they concentrated in the New Testament? How can they be embodied in humans or in pigs, for that matter, so as to be sent out? Just curious. Thanks. <laughs> well, great question. Uh, I got the heads up on this one, so thanks yeah. for that because it's like, oh, um, man, I didn't even... Be honest with you, I didn't even realize that. So I started looking back, and so I, I think you mentioned NIV New International Version seventy three yeah. times, uh, and so I actually did did another count right now. So it's really easy with lexicons to go see. You know, demons, also evil spirits, actually show up eighty different times. So that word uh, demonion or uh, D A I M O N I O N, which you know is translated demons or evil spirits, over eighty times in the scriptures and here's the reality and they're not um the origin story of demons is not like explicitly written in the scriptures it's not so it's not like here where they come from so when i tell you it seems like a third of the angel armies and you know kind of you know defect and go we want to worship and follow this enemy by the way there's actual um consequences for that that's why hell was created right so god actually tells satan and those demons that they will spend an eternity in torment as a result of them wanting their own thing in other words you want to play your own god here's your little place to play your own god and it's called hell and it will be miserable right that's actually what i think is so helpful in understanding heaven and hell is i don't personally we can argue about this theologically i i i, I don't personally go yep god sends people to hell what i really think happens is if you spend your whole life telling God you want nothing to do with him, eventually get your wish. And that's in a deep, dark abyss. And so, hey, Satan, hey, demons, you want nothing to do with me? Eventually, you will end up in that deep, dark, painful, fiery abyss, right? So that's what we see in the scriptures. And so what I explained this past week is, hey, imagine if you know you can't win, but and you've already lost, and you're an evil person. What do you do? You try to create as much pain for the people around you, right? Hurt people people. And so what we see is we see, even though, particularly for Christians, uh, while they can't own us, Satan can't, can't, you know, take over our faculties, our agency, they can, demons and Satan, can spend a life trying to, our life trying to torment us and cause us pain. And so the good question is, well, wait, so there's demons, but we don't know explicitly their origin story. And it certainly seems that they occupy things, both people and pigs. And so, well, how does that happen? And so this is what's really, really interesting is Revelation 12, really interesting passage. Uh, there's lots of different ways to view that. One is to view kind of the beginning of time, how uh, the Savior plays out in solving the battle of the day. And some others would go, no, Revelation 12 is all about when Mary gives birth to Jesus and the war that's playing out. This is where I even told you it says the enemy is defeated by the blood of the Lamb and the word of people's testimony. But in that same passage in Revelation 12, it tells us a little bit about the origin story. It tells us about this adversary, uh, you know, who gets kicked out of heaven. It tells us about these angels who are who are kicked out. And so we, we can gather from that that there is these evil spirits that God created, by the way, who, with their own agency, decide to turn their back on God and operate in pain and sorrow, like you know people do. And so that's where we get the story. And so the question then goes, okay, well, how come 
It's mentioned so many times in the New Testament, not so many times in the Old Testament. I have some opinions on this. Mm. They're not facts. But I would say there are three times specifically, um, and other times uh, that it's implied, particularly in the book of Daniel as you look at Babylon. There is a ton of mess there, and kind of the, the scholars that argue that Babylon is a demonic force in itself. Like the nation of Babylon is evil in itself. Like it's that kind of force uh, there. But three different times uh, uh, demons are mentioned in the Old Testament, but they're just called evil spirits. Three times that demon's word pops up. Eight times evil uh, spirits. In Daniel 10, it's pretty interesting. It actually uh, uh, refers to Satan and demons and uses the word prince. Like this idea that this, like the, the ruler of this world, which is a scary thing. And so um, what I would argue uh, is, okay, why does this manifest itself so greatly in the New Testament, not in the Old Testament? What I would think is Old Testament, right? All all points to our need for a Savior, right? So if you look at the Old Testament, every story is about Jesus. The Ten Commandments are about Jesus. They're convincing us that we are not capable of you know, earning our own salvation, right? These Ten Laws weren't for us to just obey them. God knew we wouldn't. But to come to the conclusion that we need a Savior, the fruit hanging in the tree of the knowledge of good and evil wasn't just to tempt people to make them sin. It was, hey, you need a Savior. The point of the fruit, the point of the Ten Commandments was to point us to Jesus. So while the whole Old Testament is Pointing to Jesus as Messiah. The reality is, not everybody, in fact, most people did not quite understand it. They had some confidence, particularly Abraham, Moses, and others, that God would make a way where there seemed to be no way. Right? But what is that way? At this point, very few people know the way, right? And so Satan is ruling and reigning and creating destruction through governments and families. And you can read about it through the old whole Old Testament of just the ruin and destruction that happens. Now, Jesus is going to show up in the New Testament, right? Always point as the plan. And when he comes, he sets up shop to rule and reign then. So now all of a sudden, let's think about this. For the whole Old Testament, while Jesus has been promised, whether they've been told to repent, told to put their hope in the future of a Messiah who would come one day, what was ruling and reigning in that time was actually Satan. And demons. They were ruling and reigning in nations and other places. So we don't really have much of a contrast in the Old Testament. We even see some moments for like Saul, the king, where he's blessed by God. And then we actually see an evil spirit come in and like torment him. So we see some of those things happen, particularly in kingdoms where there's a this desire for a godly kingdom, and then there's a you know a uh, an earthly kingdom. A, you know, satanic kingdom, kind of at war with one another. So we see some contrast. But when Jesus comes to set up shop and to rule and reign and establish his kingdom in the here and now, now the contrast gets really, really stark. So when we think about it that way, even in this story, who is the one who reveals that they're demons? It's not Jesus. Jesus is the one that goes, hey, demons, I see you over there. All of a sudden, these demons are saying, you are the son of the most high God. There is this trembling and this Christology, this understanding of who Christ is from these demons. And so what we see happen in the New Testament that we're not really seeing happen in the Old Testament is these demons are actually coming face to face with Jesus and his spirit. 
So what's going to now happen is we have this new lens of reagent even where the Holy Spirit empowers Jesus to come in and with his authority, there now is a contrast between heavenly authority now on this earth and what was ruling and reigning, the prince of the earth. So as a result of all that, it certainly seems that the reason that it manifests itself so much clearer in the New Testament is because it's in stark contrast with the new king and the new kingdom that now is being established. Mm. Old Testament, it's all kind of hidden. Old Testament is all kind of hidden. You follow the rules, you do the things, the kings are good or the kings are bad. And they kept saying, well, one day this will get figured out, but we don't understand it. One day there'll be a savior, but we don't understand it. And there was just this belief that he would actually come and take care of the evil of the Roman Empire, the evil of the Ottoman Empire, the evil of the Babylonian Empire. But it was all seen as this evil and empire. Now think about that. As we look now 2,000 years removed from Jesus and his work on the cross, what is the belief for many people in our world right now? Government bad. Politicians bad. If we had more of the good politicians, less of the bad ones. More, You know, and no matter which side you're on, the other yeah. side is filled with evil people. So there's this belief if you had new social policy and new politicians that aren't evil, then all this gets solved. It's no different than it always was. The only difference that we see in the scriptures is Jesus is a stark contrast to every earthly kingdom. So when Jesus pulls up into this pagan place, which it certainly seems that demonic work was at work all around that pagan place. There was no synagogue. There was none of that. There is lots of, uh, you know, havoc happening everywhere, just like it was in the Old Testament. But Jesus comes and he, where he shows up, he brings his kingdom with him always. So his kingdom steps foot in Grasa or Jarasa or Draga, depending on how, how you view, you know, this Gerasene demoniac. And when his kingdom shows up, these demons, lots of them, they fear and they are smart enough to go, hey, this is not good for us. Let's just go ahead and self-identify and hope he'll be nice to us, right? Because there is a contrast. So do, what I would argue is uh, the whole approach for demonic warfare was to rule and reign in as many places as possible, in kings and kingdoms and in all the people within them. So any place they were invited in, they would stay and take residence. But they were pretty good about not making themselves known until Jesus shows up 2,000 years later. They're pretty good about not making themselves known. Like you read the screw tape letters, such a creepy kind of, you know, allegory about the story of Satan and his apprentices, right? This whole idea that if they can stay in cognito, then they have a much bigger effect. And so here we are 2,000 years later and it goes, it even feels weird to talk about. And some of you think I'm strange for talking about it. And yet we got to face this and go, when Jesus and his spirit shows up, those are the things that come up, right? And so that's why I think in the New Testament, you see it a lot more than the Old Testament. Really long answer. Thanks for leaning into that. <laughs> it's, and then uh, you might've already said this and honestly, mm -hmm. I didn't hear it, uh, but how can they be embodied in humans or pigs in that matter? Yeah, so uh, yeah, their, their whole objective is to take up real time and space. Yeah. So while they transcend that, what they do is the way they manifest themselves is they take up real time and real residence and real space. So where do they take up residence? Wherever they're invited. Yeah. In fact, what we're going to see next week, uh, the week after Easter, we're going to see Jesus, how he sends out his spirit and what he tells them to do is go take up residence, go spend time, go find people of peace. In other words, people where they're invited. So what we're going to see happen is that actually the inverse operation of what had been happening for so long is we've invited evil into our lives with what we look at, what we say, what we do, what we feel and think. We invite evil in. So as we invite it in, it takes up residence, which leads to kind of the second part of that is, well, what about Christians? I think you said that Christians can't be 
you know, possessed. Right. You know, and so what, what I'd clarify, because the people go, no, I've seen it, and I know they're Christians. So what I would just kind of, as we're kind of camped out on this point, there's a big difference between possession and oppression, right? Possession implies ownership. Yeah. And for those of us who have invited Jesus into our life to take up residence in our life, to give, make him Lord, he, he has ownership. He has full authority in our life. Now, maybe we want to take it back every now and then, but he has full residence there. So he 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 owns us. He is our Lord. He is our boss, right? But that's possession. So for people who are Christ followers, who have acknowledged that Jesus is Lord and sincerely meant it, they cannot be possessed or owned by demons or Satan. But they certainly can feel oppression of forces around us, forces in our, you know, in our midst that create real oppression there is real torment that is still available you see even jesus has these temptations from satan in the wilderness so there is real temptation and real oppression that happens we even see it with jesus with peter who tells jesus that he is the christ right and then he tells him he never literally would never ever uh, you know turn his back or you know deny him and Jesus literally looks at him and says, get thee behind me, Satan. In other words, he is so aware that it's not just Peter in that moment. There is an oppression influencing Peter's arrogance and pride, not taking up residence, not owning Peter, but in a way that's influencing him so heavy that Jesus actually calls out that spirit of oppression right there in the moment and says, get thee behind me, Satan. Right? And so we see those things play out. And so what well, the goal of the enemy is to take up residence, to rule and to reign in any and everything that allows the man. So how does that work with animals? Yeah. I don't know. I, I genuinely we don't we don't have an understanding of that. It's interesting that it's pigs because that seems simpler. So you go do well, do they always take up residence in pigs? No. But if the God of the universe tells them to go there, yeah. that's what they're gonna do, right? So the reality is more than likely they're not trying to take up residence in animals because they don't care about tormenting the soul if the mm. animal has a soul, right? Sorry, oh, please don't email me on that. I'm not, I don't want to talk about where dogs go and cats. I, I know where cats go, but I don't want to talk about where <laughs> dogs go right now. I mean, that kind of stuff, right? And so in all that, what we do, what we, is that commonplace for demons to take up residence in mm. animals? Probably not. But if the spirit of the living God tells them to or God himself speaks that into them, they they're going to follow directions for the most from the most high God because they have to. So, uh, so what what I want to do is kind of read these other questions okay. that we have there. So um, as we looked at this story, so Jesus goes to um, to this area, steps out of the boat, and sees this man who had demons, and he said uh, that they were his name was Legion because there was many of them. Yeah. Right? You had talked about that a legion could be up to what was it? No, no, legion was a very specific term okay. in the scriptures. I mean, that was a Roman battalion or whatever. It was a it was a group of six thousand men. Six thousand, not five thousand five hundred, not seven thousand, six thousand. Yeah. Now uh, you read back through the scholars, they go, well, that doesn't necessarily mean. I mean, it, it could have been just an exaggeration of whatever that is. You know, not. But when you read the Gospel of Mark in that same account, I'll have to look and see as I did put it in my notes. In that moment, I don't know, I can't find it here. Oh, here it is. Mark 11, 5. It says, the herd, about 2,000 in number, fell off the cliff. So while it might not be 6,000, it certainly is a significant level of torment and possession that's happening to this poor guy. Which would explain his ability to rip through chains and yeah. all those kind of things. I mean, yeah, he has the for sure. power of 2,000 demons in him, and that's which what is you, scary. What you see in the beginning of, yeah. of Luke 20, when you start in 26, is that he, he was naked, he was living among the tombs, yeah. that he had broken chains. Like, 
and ultimately what we see is that God heals them. So let me let me get to those okay. other two questions yeah, out yeah. there. Um, the next one says this. It says, one part of the story that I've never understood is why the villagers asked Jesus to leave after he sent the demons into the pigs. Were they afraid that the demons would return and take revenge on them? Were they mad that they just lost the whole herd of expensive pigs? 2,000 pigs is a lot of pigs. Yeah. Um, it says, or were they afraid that they would have to expel their own demons and be better people if Jesus stayed there? Thanks for your comments. Yeah, thanks for the uh, question. So, I honestly, if I wouldn't have paid more attention to the text this week, I would have told this, well, of course you don't want him to stay. He just murdered your entire <laughs> livestock. 2,000 pigs is years worth of you know wages like this is a livelihood it it take would take forever to build up that kind of herd yeah so at first glance you go he just m- literally put those people in poverty yeah so your first kind of thought would be oh that's really scary now there's things that you could think about in terms of jesus really addressing the pagan culture yeah. and going nope i rule and reign nope yeah. i rule and reign i've been clear about this i rule and i reign this mm. i am the the king of the world, right? So there's that. But it doesn't say anything about anger. It actually says, uh, let's see, then all the people of the surrounding country of the Gerasenes asked him to depart from them. This is verse 37. For, meaning because, they were seized with great fear. Yeah. So he got in the boat and returned. One of the things I point out is very kind of Jesus. He's the respecter of boundaries. Which is, why is Jesus not fixed that? Well, have you invited him into? Because he's a respecter of boundaries, which is so interesting. But he's a respecter of boundaries in this. And so, but in this, what we know is the response is they were seized with great fear. Seized with great fear. That is pretty significant, right? And so what does that mean? What does that mean to be seized with great fear? And I go, I don't think it's that hard to understand. Like, do you want to talk about demons and Satan? (laughs) Right? Do you want to spend a bunch of time talking about it? Yeah. How about this? Do you want to be around a Ouija board? I would absolutely suggest you stay away from those. Burn them, throw them away, whatever it is, right? Yeah. Do you want to dabble with the cult? Mm. No, right? Because you don't know if it's real or not, but it certainly seems creepy, mm. right? So there is something. Now imagine seeing this. Yeah. Like imagine seeing this rabid man. All of a sudden, and you haven't seen all the results yet of everything, go from a different person and see, like, the devastation of those pigs. Yeah. Like, could you imagine the torment of that and them running off the cliff? Like, this is a, this is an absurdly violent scene. This yeah, is right. NC-17, right? This is not something you show your kids. Right. Like, demonic forces. Like, I can't, I still can't watch, like, exorcism movies. They freak me out. Like, they, so this is a... We can judge them for it, but this is a reasonable result because we actually just want to go back to our world and not think about Satan yeah. or demons. Right. Right. So why would they want to think about them? Why yeah. would they want to go? Is that what's in our land? Like we want to, like we don't like ghost stories. Right. Right. We don't want to think about our houses being haunted and walking through it in the dark or go through a dark church. Like those things are all creepy, and I would say there's something we got to guard against in that stuff. And so it would make sense that their natural response would be. We don't know what we just saw, but we just saw we don't like and we want it to stop. Who's the culprit? Get rid of the culprit, right? And so this would just be a natural response. Like it's like when our kids are fighting. You don't – sometimes you try to get to the bottom of it. For the most time, you just go, I don't care what it is. I just want it to stop, right? At that point, they were going, Jesus is the culprit. I just want it to stop. Let's just ask him to leave. I don't even know why he's here. I mean like are you related to anybody? No, you're not here. Okay, see you later. This isn't your home. Bye-bye. 
bye-bye. You know, so it, to me, it just looks pretty practical. Now, yeah. the seize with fear is pretty interesting. That literally means, like, paralyzed okay. with fear. So this is fight-or-flight reaction. They're not going to fight the guy who just did that, right? <laughs> so this is freeze, and then you fight or flight. So you flight, but since it's your home, you flight by asking him to leave. Yeah. Right. So he leaves. So I think that it's his fear. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Well, jumping into the last question, and then we'll continue on from there. So um, this is one that says, uh, this is what it says. It says, in reading this passage of Luke, I'm not sure if I'm to believe the demoniac received salvation just because he was healed. Many times when Jesus heals, it doesn't in indicate whether the person was saved before or after the healing. Jesus most certainly reveals his power and who um, he is through these healings. Is Jesus leaving room for our own responses, or is there something else going on that I'm missing? Your thoughts and understanding on this. Yeah, so I think that's, I think that's important. Um, I appreciate the question, and um, I, I think... One thing we got to figure out is uh, what does it mean to be saved, right? So did this man find salvation? Well, in the most practical sense, absolutely. He was saved from a tomb, like living in tombs, shackled up and naked, right? And we see, um, I would argue that this man had absolute transformation. And so when I think about salvation, right, I think about life changing us. Maybe we see it immediately. Maybe we see it over time. But what else happens for in salvation is while we might not be able to see all the life change, right, little by little, day by day. Remember what we've been talking about. It grows like a seed, right? And it's our job to receive the seed. Jesus' job as the farmer and the gardener is to take care of the seed and soil, God's job is to grow it, right? So our only job is to receive the seed in that. So it certainly seems like he receives the seed. Remember, because it actually says the seed is the word of Christ. So this guy literally received into him the spoken word of Christ. So in that, what we know is that something transformational happened and something began and something left, right? There's a transformation. But what does happen for us in salvation is there is a positional transformation that changes. There's something about our posture and our position towards God, mm. right? Uh, when I told you one of the problems in the parable of seas, particularly for the shallow or divided hearts, mainly shallow hearts, is we think we get salvation. But what we're really doing is inviting Jesus into our kingdom mm. to fix our kingdom the way he wanted to instead of going, nope, we're in his kingdom. So how would you know the difference between your kingdom, if you're inviting Jesus into your kingdom, or if he's invited you into his? Well, the way that you know has to do with your posture. Where is the positioning? Do you expect Jesus just to follow you around everywhere? Do you expect him to sit at your feet? Or is your posture so different that now all of a sudden you're wanting to follow Jesus around everywhere and you're wanting to sit at his feet? So let's think about this demoniac. This Jesus speaks death and damnation and torment out of him. And what does this guy do? Real radical life change, right? He puts on clothes, all these kind of things. But do you see where he goes? Do you see where his position is? Really, really, really neat to see. Uh, let me read it to you. Uh, uh, verse in verse 35. The, then people went out to see what had happened, and they came to Jesus, and they found the man whom had, uh, from whom the demons had gone, sitting at the feet of Jesus, clothed and in his. You see that word? Right mind, which implies that his mind was wrong. Yeah. Repentance literally is having a change of mind. So what we're seeing here is we're seeing healing happen, 
We're seeing a new position for him, and we're seeing a new mind for him. Yeah. I don't know that there's a better picture of what salvation is than we receive healing, right? We positionally present him as Lord, and we sit at his feet, and we renovate or renew our minds. This guy has all those things. And so he has everything, all the things that you would think would be the checkpoints of Christianity and salvation. Now, I don't know. Like I think it's weird for me to try to define someone else's salvation. But I can tell you, that's all the checkpoints of mine. There was healing. Still is. Happening every day. There are places where I'm trying to sit at Jesus' feet positionally, right? And I'm trying to. Uh, therefore, uh, my brothers, I urge you in view of God's mercy to offer your bodies as a living fact, right? sacrifice, holy and pleasing, at his feet, right? And therefore, do not... Uh, do not uh, do not conform any longer to the patterns of this world, Romans 12, 2, but be transformed by the what? The renewing of your mind. So you see him offering his body as a living sacrifice, and you see him with a renewed mind. So Romans yeah. chapters 1 through 11 talk about what sin does to us in bondage. Romans chapter 12 points us to our reaction and our response to what was bondage and what Christ did for us. In view of God's, God, Christ's mercy, we offer our bodies as a living sacrifice, and we renew our mind. So this guy is now sitting at Jesus' feet. He's wanting to follow Jesus, not have Jesus follow him. Yeah. And he has now renewed his mind. So we see all that play out, which is really, really beautiful, which is why the end of this gets so strange, yeah, right. right? And so it goes to, of course, he's a, he now has Jesus. And Jesus actually invited the first disciples to follow him because they would make him fishers of men, right? And so the natural implication of this is, as soon as this happens, we should follow Jesus. Right. And so this guy goes and tries to follow Jesus. And Jesus actually tells him to do something different, which is weird because yeah. he's still in a pagan world. Yeah. Those are not the only demons in that area. Yeah. Just weren't. The whole area is filled with debauchery and paganism, right? And pigs. Not that I'm saying pigs are evil, but they certainly were against the Torah at yeah. that time. Like the, the word of God. So Jesus comes and establishes a new covenant. Really, really beautiful. But this is before they would have known that. They are operating in direct defiance of the God of the Old Testament. The God of Abraham, Jacob, Moses, right? right. And so there is evil at play there. So this guy goes back into that place with evil. You would think he would pause and go, okay, here's what you got to do. Don't mess with that Ouija board. Don't watch Cinemax. Whatever it is, right? Like Whatever those things are. <laughs> I'm just thinking like things that, you know, don't log into that website for real, right? That's where that's where evil kind of takes hold, you know? Yeah. Stay away from that bottle. Stay away from that pill, whatever yeah. it is. That's where evil takes hold. And so he doesn't give them any of those pointers. Like, And he doesn't go, okay, yeah, you got some more work to do. Like the yeah. idea of what salvation is us. You pray the prayer and then you get into a class and then, yeah. you, you, you know, you burn your CDs, throw away your T-shirts. You never go to the rock concert. You cut your hair. You tuck in your shirt. Whatever those, you know, things we have in our fundamental world that we think of. None of that happens for him. Like, yeah. put some clothes on. That's nice. He's not naked anymore, right? Yeah. <laughs> but outside of that, and with a new mind, Jesus tells him something that's so crazy, and I want to spend a lot more time on it this week if I had time. And he says, return to your home. Yeah. What? What? I thought you were all about telling people to follow you. But you're telling yeah. him that the way he follows you is not so by actually getting home. in the boat, yeah. but actually going back to where you came from and declare how much God has done for you. That's it. That's his response to salvation. Turn back home. You got a new mind. You got a new you got a new position. You know, see me as Lord. Now go back home. And I want you to tell people about it. this. Is interesting because yeah. we're going to read another passage this upcoming week where Jesus tells them not to say anything. Right. Right. So some of this is probably because of Jesus' primary work is the teaching of His Word. The Word of Christ is what gives us faith. Right. Not His primary work is not supernatural healings. So this might get backwards in this, you know, this town with that Jairus is in. And so it might get backwards and go, hey, I don't want to, 
I don't want to flip-flop this. I'm still going to teach. Now, this is a pagan world right here. Yeah. None of them have been reached. So the best way for them to be reached with this isn't kind of this detox of all the religious stuff. It's going, just go. Yeah. Go show them the evidence of who you are. Not go be a part of the disciples, but go back into your circle of influence and just show them the evidence of life change. Yeah. So yeah. this is beautiful. Our only objective is, is to invite Jesus in, have the nastiness get purged out, positionally sit ourselves before Jesus, renew our mind, and then go and start talking about real, genuine life change that's happened as a result of you encountering Jesus. Yeah. That's the whole story of the gospel. That's what discipleship is. Yeah. So it's about being sent, not about just you know walking next to Jesus with his boat and his disciples. It's right, about right. being sent. And so that's why this is really important in the next two weeks. This is the preparation. We're going to see the first sent one here, but then we're going to go back and look at the religious people that Jesus also is preparing yeah. to be sent. So yeah. I think it's just something really important to go, yeah, I think he found salvation. Yep, positionally, you know, and then also in his head, found salvation. And then he immediately got in on it. So that the implication for that is how do you guard against the enemy? You speak about Jesus. Yeah. How do you guard against the enemy? You tell yourself, you tell others about what Jesus has done in your life over and over again. The enemy is defeated by the blood of the Lamb, meaning what Jesus did for you, and the word of people's testimony. So we talk about it. There's power in the name of Jesus. We use his name. We declare it. And I understand it goes, ah, oh, that seems so weird. If this is true, there's a lot more that's weird that you don't see. Yeah. So it makes sense that we start speaking the name of Jesus. Anything we ask in his name, he says he would do. In his Anything in his character in his likeness, right? Mm-hmm. So we speak his name. So there's something profound about this. This is why we got to hear about it, right? This guy hears about it. we got to think about it, and now we're going to see it. We're going to see this guy speak about it. And as he speaks about it, what we're going to see, we're going to see the kingdom of God be brought about in this whole area that yeah. was just a, a lost, pagan, tormented world. So really neat to see and yeah. all that. So uh, I'm not sure how much time we have left. Yeah, about 10 um, So what, I, I guess from here, so that's kind of all the questions yeah. that we have. So where do you want to talk? What, what is there maybe something that you didn't get to expound on on Sunday or there's something something more that you were looking Yeah, so let me I cover something real quick. Not real important, but probably helpful for the scriptures. If you look back at uh, Luke 8, 26, then they sailed to the country of the Gerasenes, which is opposite Galilee. So this gets a little complicated uh, because you have it here where it says the Gerasenes are Gerasa. Um, in Mark, it says Geraga, right? Okay. So, And if you look at the geography, this gets really complicated because Gerasa is, you know, a day's hike okay. from the Sea of Galilee. So what do you do with that if it runs off into the shore, hmm. right? So... Is does this mean that the Bible's wrong? So you know, and Mark actually gives it a different location, which is a lot more um, helpful in terms of where it would be in geographical location. So there's some things we've got to wrestle with. Is this Jerusalem? Is it Jeraga? And even if you were to look at your footnotes, if you read it in IV or ESV, there'd be like a little bitty C or a little bitty whatever it is a footnote, and it would say some manuscripts show Jeraga. So we we have to look at this and go, well, does this make the scripture? Not true, right? Because right? if it's this place, not this place, how did the pigs run off? And candidly, we don't have a lot of answers here. But what I don't want us to do is get so used to reading something going, well, that just must be true because it's there. Or, well, there's a discrepancy, therefore it's false. Okay. So I don't want to just gloss over and pretend it's not there. But I also don't want this to be a stumbling block as well. Yeah. So, well, I didn't get a chance to cover it on Sunday. It just made sense. And so there's a, there's several different um, 
scholarly thoughts, not mine, but scholars that would go through this. One, when you see that it says, uh, to the, uh, it sailed to the country of the Gerasenes. This would have, maybe that would have implied there, that was where they were going. Mm. But in order to get to Gerasene, you first have to get through Jaraga on the coast, okay. right? Or this could imply that <laughs> the Gerasenes didn't like this dude at all, the Gerasene demoniac, and they actually moved him to a neighboring town to put him in their tombstones, right? <laughs> so he's there. That's still, you know, within a you know, day's journey, separated but onto the coast there, and when Jesus comes and interacts, it is a Gerasene demoniac, mm-hmm. and yet it's in a different town. And so these pigs happen to be in Draga right there, and they do. Another option is they actually make it all the way into Jerasa, uh, and this is such a spectacle that these pigs run for miles into the water. <laughs> I don't know uh, what option is correct. I think I'm inclined to think Geographically, it makes more sense that they're landing in Jaraga and some manuscripts would, I want to say, I think I'm saying that word right. Uh, I just, that's a, a pretty hard one to read through. Yeah. And maybe uh, there's some clarity that Luke wants to give us versus what Mark wants to give us. I don't really know. But in, in the grand scheme of, does it change the story? Does it tra- change the scenario? Does it create any issue that would make the word of God seem less factual or evidentiary? Uh, there's nothing here that would do that, but I do think it makes sense. If there's a footnote, we should at least acknowledge it and go, Here, here's some yeah. options of what, yeah. what's going on there. That I would have covered on Sunday, okay. uh, but it didn't seem to be a driving point. So I thought, oh, yeah. I'll just yeah. cover it here. And the only other thing I really did want to go, hey, I didn't really get to talk about possession versus oppression. Yeah, right. So that that about. seems really significant to me just for you to be able to sleep at night, but also be able to put some words around some of what is around you. Yeah. And so one thing I'd offer you there, this is, is this how I think we'll wrap up. So um, I can't even tell you the name of the book now. Back when, during my sabbatical, I was reading a book on uh, deliverance, actually. But deliverance is such a creepy word to me because I imagine, like, yeah, right. bringing you down front, blowing right. on your forehead, you falling over, you get covered with a blanket and <laughs> all those kind of things and, you know, people in fake wheelchairs standing up. Like, all that stuff makes me really uncomfortable. But the word deliverance literally means just to be delivered into the place that Christ wants you, right? Mm-hmm. So if you think about it, every day you experience deliverance. It just yeah. comes from Amazon, right? Yeah, so it's yeah, just yeah. it just means here's where it is, here's where it's supposed to be. The whole idea of shepherding is deliverance, to lead sheep from where they are to where God wants them to be. So if Jesus is the great sheep, he is leading us to place. He is delivering us. And one of the most profound things it said, and I may have shared this with you before or with our team, is that demons aren't all-knowing. Yeah, they don't. Right. They can't. They can't all read minds. Right. In other words, you can be thinking and praying and going, in the name of Jesus, would you bring me freedom? But this spirit of anxiety, leave me, right? And I would just say, I double dog dare you to say it out loud. Because yeah. what if that torment can't understand what's going on in your brain? Mm. In the name of Jesus. So this is where not think it, speak it really mm. matters. So this is really really important, right? Like, so as you're laying in bed and your mind's racing and you have anxiety. Like, that is a time to go, in the name of Jesus, I declare that this spirit of anxiety cannot torment me. Say it out loud. Tell it to flee. Tell the, that spirit, that evil spirit, whatever it is, to pack its bags, rebuke it, give it its value, and go, you do not get to live in my home, around my kids. You get to speak that out loud because there is literal mighty power in the name of Jesus. So I just would challenge you. Maybe it seems a little spirit-filled and a little weird, and I just would argue. There's a lot of weirder things you don't see that are real, really true as well. Yeah. Not trying to scare you. So maybe one of the first actions is we hear about it and think about it. Our first step is for us to start speaking about it. Maybe just to ourselves. 
maybe to our family, maybe to speak this stuff over our kids when we pray. So every night when you're praying, God, I pray that you would protect our children, mm-hmm. that you would keep them sick and that you would protect their dreams and that you would make them well and that you would protect our home. In the name of Jesus, the only, the only influence that's allowed in our home is your influence, Jesus, and your Holy Spirit. And we tell every other spirit to pack its bags and we rebuke them. We acknowledge. So, and these things we got to start declaring these things. And I know it's weird, but the way by which Jesus told these 2,000, 6,000 demons to leave, he gave them permission, meaning that's the kind of power he has. So let's leverage that and speak it. And then let's start seeing it be brought about. And little by little, day by day, we get to experience that more. So big learning for you today. Maybe you should be a little bit more spirit-filled in your frozen, (laughs) chosen world and start speaking the name of Jesus over anything and everything that you feel like the Holy Spirit's leading you to do. Even Even if it's just a dare, like even if it's just a try. Yeah. Yeah, honestly, what do you have to lose? Seriously, what do you have to lose? Feel a little funny? You're already feeling a little funny. Right. You know, so what if this is real? And (laughs) it is. It is. The scriptures are showing us it's real. So let's let's read the word of Christ and believe it's true and let's hear it. Let's really think about it. And as we think about it, that's not with our mind. That's actually with our soul. Let's look at this. Get all the way down in there like it does for this, this demoniac. Let's mm-hmm. get all the way down in there where we find ourselves wanting to sit at Jesus' feet and tell other people about the goodness that he's done in our life. So would you look for that this week? That's it. That's all I got. Yeah. So thank you so much for joining us. Again, thank you for those that submitted questions. We always are excited when there is questions. That way we can just not try and come up with content, but we can just literally answer what's there. So thank you so much for that. If you ever do want to submit a question, whether it's in regards to what we talked about over the weekend, or it's just simply a question that you've been walking through, please don't be afraid to submit that. You can email that to overtime at clcfamily.church, or you can just simply text 610-869-2140. You can just simply type out your your question, and that'll send to us. So thanks so much for joining us for episode 76. We hope you have a great week. We hope to see you maybe on Easter, and have a blessed week. And I'm leaving to go be 75%, have 75% efficacy from this COVID in about an hour. Good job.